0: Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahoman's downtown video studio. Joining me this week is our state capital reporter, Dale Dinwalt, and our news director, new news director, Chris Castile. Chris, congrats on the gig. Thank you. And uh, thanks for, thanks for t- taking time out of what's becoming more and more a busier day for yeah, you yeah, to, yeah, to, to talk politics. Yeah. But, up until recently, and, and still we'll be doing some political coverage, I mean, you've been on the trail of this governor's race, and earlier this week, a man of many hats, uh, you moderated the, the first debate right. between Drew Edmondson and Kevin Stitt, the Democrat and Republican nominee uh, for governor. You know, in watching this debate, I think Edmondson did performed as well as you'd think for a seasoned politician and Kevin Stitt performed probably about as well as you'd expect for kind of an outsider newcomer, who's Mm -hmm. really still kind of new to running for office. He's never done it before. I'm curious, what was your, for both of you, Dale and Chris, uh, what were your your big takeaways from this first debate between these two candidates?
1: Well, I think just from a content standpoint uh, with the two, I I thought it was a really good um, uh, debate to show how divided they are on some of the biggest issues, whether it's taxes, um, Medicaid, uh, re- expansion, you know, I, I think that there was, you know, clear differences between the, between them on those two things, and I, you know, I think that they articulated each of them articulated their positions well. I think Dale did a good story on, you know, how close they kind of were on some criminal justice stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but. But there, there will be a clear choice, and, and, and not, not only in experience and position, but you know, I just think in the way that they approach government too, and that's probably a function of their experience.
0: Yeah.
2: We also saw a little bit of their personality uh, shine through. Drew Robinson, kind of the folksy charm uh, candidate. Uh, he got the, the crowd to laugh several times, uh, although I think it was there, were, there were a lot of people yeah, in that crowd yeah, a lot of uh, for there. him. Uh, Kevin Stitt uh, was real forceful, kind of matter of fact, um, and, uh, and you know, speaking directly, uh, probably as best as he could to the question, um, uh, kind of what you would expect from a CEO, right? Yeah. Um, and so th- that, that kind of personality showed for both of them. Uh, and I think it kind of goes to how they present themselves as candidates. Drew Robinson, obviously, is a politician. He doesn't back down from that. Uh, he doesn't shy away from that uh, moniker, even though, um, he says that he, he's proud of the record that he's run as a public servant. Kevin Stitt um, is what you would expect out of someone who is uh, coming out of uh, sort of the left field, out of the private sector, yeah. um, in politics for the first time, right field. trying trying to make right <laughs> Right? Way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and also for Stitt, I mean, it's kind of a role reversal a little bit because if you look, we've, you know, we often have talked about, you know, the big three Republican candidates these last several months. You had Todd Lamb, Mick Cornett, and then Kevin Stitt that was fighting to survive and did and then, and then ultimately won. You know, he was the, the outsider and he was, you know, he was running against, you know, Todd Lamb who was kind of the consensus front runner, you know, for many years. Mitt Cornett, you know, won the primary. But in you know in this red state of oklahoma there's no way around it kevin stitt is the front runner and, and some early polls are, are bearing that out so now he is kind of that you know running with that mantle how does that change things do you think for stitt that now you know he's kind of it's his race to lose in a way well that wasn't the case during the primary
1: no it wasn't I, and and i think that you know one thing that he really enjoyed through the entire year was momentum um stitt did and, and i'm sure he had a little bit coming out of the runoff having beaten you know, Mick Cornett, and then, you know, two months earlier, uh, Todd Lamb, he had nothing, you know, he had a ton of momentum. And I think that's probably going to slow right now a little bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure, um, you know, at this point, I'm not sure how much he will can widen the gap. I, I totally agree that he's a front runner. You know, you've seen a couple of polls where it's three, maybe it's five, six, or something mm-hmm. like that. But I, I'm not sure, you know, how much, what he can do to yep. really widen that gap. Uh, from this point on we you know especially when it looks like we should talk I should mention this that uh, the Democratic Governors Association started airing ads yet um, Thursday and Drew Edmondson campaign is running ads starting I think this morning uh, this is Friday um, September 28th that uh, link stitch to Fallon Mary, mm-hmm. Governor Mary Fallon the deeply unpopular Governor Mary Fallon and basically saying more of the same you know they I think the DGA ad, the Democratic Governors ad, is actually you know it's it's borderline inaccurate really, and uh, ab- about both of them, but it, it makes the point that you know. This is just more of the same, you know, Stitt would, just, would be more of the same on education. They, our schools went to heck under Governor Mary Fallon and Stitt would just you know, continue those same policies.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I mean, Stitt has been running as this outsider, you know, especially against Fallon. I mean, he hasn't really spoken her name too much, but mm-hmm. the times that he has, he's you know, he's been critical of her, of her leadership, as you would expect. I mean, she's pulled, you know, she, her approval rating has been fairly low the last few years. You know, it's kind of normal for, you know, a lame duck governor, uh, you know, when you've got oh, an yeah, open yeah. seat. Um, There's a yeah, lot of Fallon connecting fatigue. Connecting yeah. Stitt to Fallon, besides the R that's next to their name, um, and granted, I think they would support some some proposals, but, I mean, Dale, what do you think is the biggest difference between Stitt and, and Fallon? Uh,
2: probably, you know, the experience, Mary Fallon, before she was governor, was uh, in politics for quite a while, both in the state legislature and the U.S. Congress. Um, uh, maybe, and lieutenant governor. That's right. Yeah. Uh, she comes from, although it's kind of in the metro, she comes from a rural part of the state, um, uh, a little bit more rural, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, uh, east of here. And um, you know, she's she's sort of the generation of Republicans um, who came up in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, and, and the 90s, um, whereas with Kevin Stitt, uh, I, I think his voting record probably uh, – shows you that maybe he didn't think a lot about electoral politics at least uh until recently yeah Uh, so uh, i think those those are the biggest difference you can't you can't view him as um you can't expect him to be the kind of Republican uh, that Oklahomans have known for the and last. That's a years. perfect point.
1: He's not part of this establishment, and given his spotty voting record, you could probably say he'd never even voted for Mary Fallon. <laughs> yeah, well, and
0: and you talk about you know <clears throat> the time that Fallon came up. I mean, the political climate was different. I mean, right. I mean, this was kind of a Republican wave. It was. But she really benefited from this really anti-DC you know rhetoric. Now there still is anti-DC rhetoric, but Republicans are in charge now. You don't have Obama now as kind of the boogeyman man that it was for Republicans when she was first elected in 2010, and you saw that kind of wave. How is Stitt, I mean, what is Stitt's stance on the federal government? I mean, there are some specific issues that you asked him about.
1: Yeah, so he, I mean, he says, and I don't think he's, he's that well versed, uh, I mean, he's not that fluent even yet in state issues, I don't, I think he's still really trying to learn the, you know, these federal state dynamics as well. But, you know, that's one of the things I asked him the other night because I've heard him say so many times, I'd love to get every federal dollar we can get. I've been meeting with the delegation about that, you know, how, what, what can we do? And well, you know, if that's the case, Medicaid expansion would be totally in your wheelhouse, yeah. you know, because it's like a nine-to-one federal-to-state, you know, dollar match. Yeah. So, I, you know, again, I I think that he's really just still kind of grappling with all of these programs and all of these um different levels of government things that he's he hasn't really thought about it beyond you know the ones that regulate mortgages you know which is what he's been in or or regulated whatever other you know kind of side business he's been in he just i don't think he's ever really looked at government holistically you know it's always just been this agency or that that's
0: yeah. that I have to answer to each year. Is the climate amongst Oklahoma voters different when it comes to Medicaid expansion than it was in 2010 or, no, or a, after that? I mean, voters saw this as Obamacare. And that's I, a great question. You know, I, I think that's a great question.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, whenever people talk about it, they don't talk about Obamacare anymore. Um, they talk about Medicaid expansion, and you know, the, the boogeyman's out of office, so to speak. Uh, President Obama is long gone. Republicans are in power, and they could do something uh, to uh, to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare if they wanted to mm-hmm. and if they could get, get enough votes right um, and when you talk about Medicaid expansion that was always a part of the ACA uh, and so and probably the the biggest reason why Oklahoma never accepted it uh, and and so at, but at this point um, it's I think it's more about um, the the merits of the proposal uh, you're going to get a lot more discussion about the merits of the proposal rather than um, a cloud hanging over it because it was Introduced by Barack Obama, yeah. especially these,
1: you know, these situations that have come about with these rural hospitals too. You know, like the Pauls Valley mm-hmm. one. You've got one in the Panhandle yeah. they can't pay its bills, and Edmondson's just hammering that point home about um, Medicaid expansion helping uh, rural hospitals because a lot of their uncompensated care is probably. I mean, I haven't seen the you know the metrics of all this, but I would think a lot of it in a rural area are people without health insurance. You know? Yeah. Whereas Medicaid would be reimbursing these hospitals if, if
0: indeed, these lower-income people had it. Yeah. Well, you asked specifically about that at the debate. and I imagine this is going to continue to be a, a topic of disagreement between the two candidates that they're going to have to answer to. It should be a legislative
1: yeah. issue. I, you know, I, I just really think that a legislative candidates should have to be answering
0: to mm-hmm. this. But, and this is kind of a tough one. I mean, it's, it's always kind of, I mean, you know, a House member, a Senate member, they're always just one vote. But it always makes it easy to dodge the issue too for lawmakers, because then you can say like, well, you know, we're gonna have to see what the legislature looks like, you know, and and what everyone wants to do, and I'm not necessarily for this, but you haven't had to peg them down on on the vote. Mm -hmm. It just kind of gives you an example of what it's like running for governor, statewide office. You're expected to answer for everything, even though the the issue would have, you're right, would have to start with the legislature. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And that's something that that Chris asked uh, Drew Edmondson, is, uh, you know, Drew said that he thinks that there's probably, uh, could be a way that he could go ahead and um, do that without uh, the legislature intervening. But, you know, Oklahoma has a law. Yeah, I don't think that's. Yeah, Oklahoma's law that says that that we can't do that.
0: Yeah, the best path for Edmondson, I think, is if he wins, he can argue that he has a mandate. I mean, a Democrat winning in Oklahoma, will he say, listen, There are some core issues I ran on. This is one of them. Now, I don't know that the legislature budges on that, because now a lot of them just won election. They're not going to think about re-election for at least a couple years, at least in the House. Mm -hmm. Um, But speaking of what Edmondson would find if he became a legislature, he's also you know, continues to push the issue of the gross production tax, raising it to 7 percent. I mean, Chris, another thing you asked him about is how do you do that? Because the legislature is still going to be pretty overwhelmingly Republican. The biggest blue wave is probably still not going to change that. So what-
1: They're not going to come in and go, all right, you know, take the oath of office and go, now let's raise us some taxes, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, this this is the last thing they're going to want to think about, not only because they just, you know, had a tax package, but- there's new revenue rolling in, and the economy has improved significantly. Is You've up. been writing this every month. The coffers are filling up, so that's good. talk about a tough sell. It's a tough sell. It was a tough sell
2: mm-hmm.
1: last fall when the, everything was you know, coming unglued. It was hard. You couldn't get yeah, three quarters. It took months
2: and special sessions to actually get anything accomplished. Uh, daily press conferences from, uh, from at least the Democrats, sometimes Republicans. Um, talking about how the legislature was jammed up, and that was in a crisis situation. So imagine uh, imagine Drew Robinson uh, proposing a, a tax package, a tax increase package, to a legislature who is seeing the economy growing and more money uh, coming into state government and the rainy day uh, half full again. Uh, so it's going to be a really hard sell, uh, and it's going to take a lot of work politically, I think, for... for uh, a a Governor Edmondson to actually get anything uh, accomplished as far as raising taxes.
0: Well, and if he wins, you know, you will probably will see House and Senate leaders come out even before the session starts, before he's sworn in saying, here's kind of our general budget plan. We've got more money coming in. See, we're going to put more money to education. We're going to put more money to health care. We don't need to raise taxes, which makes me wonder. Could we see some of those plans even before the election? I bet Stitt would love to see that, love to see the legislature already saying, hey, we know we're gonna have enough money to increase the budget.
2: Well, this this is a a completely different wrinkle because you have Kevin Stitt, the leader of the Republican Party, if he wins governor, leader of the state, and you have Republican uh, leaders who have kind of enjoyed their autonomy uh, on the legislative level. uh, as a, as a, as as the Speaker of the House and the Pro Tem of the Senate, um, how willing are you to cow to the incoming governor's policy plans? Um, uh, do you sit down with your caucus and say, here's what we want to do as a legislature, uh, but then here comes Kevin Stitt saying, this is what I want you to do. H- how much agreement do we get? From a Republican governor and the next legislature on the first day. Well, I think we've been talking.
1: We, we may have talked about this on your show last week. I, he's already meeting with them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's meeting with uh, John Eccles and uh, the Speaker of the House McCall and Greg, the incoming Senate President. He, he's. You know, that's one of the things that he tries to 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 pitch about himself is that he is this kind of CEO that always wants input from everybody. You know, that that they have that he's got a policy at his company. You know, you can say anything in this boardroom, you know, or in this meeting room, conference room. I want to hear what you've got to say. I think he wants to hit the ground running. He's, I think he's, you know, kind of um, impatient, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's sort of like let's like, let's 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 set a goal, let's get in a direction, then let's move that way. You know, we yeah. don't need to sit around, you know. Rehashing stuff that we all know about. Let's decide what we're going to do about it and, and, and get a plan to go.
0: Yeah. Well, coming from a mortgage in industry, which in America you can get a mortgage on your phone in a matter of hours, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a rude awakening on the pace of things with no, the capital.
1: And, and I think you know that's actually a really good point because I think that's given you know the revenue situation, it's, it's not a crisis anymore. You know, they can all just kind of you know relax about that, go through a halfway normal budget process. He wants to work on management of government.
0: Yeah. But you can't. I think if, if you're going to say it's not a crisis anymore, you have to say it's not a crisis when you look at the money we're going to have coming in. Mm-hmm. Because when you say it's not a crisis anymore, if you're in Paul Valley I mean and the say, hospitals I'm closing. Sorry. No, no, I'm, yeah. I'm saying if that's what they're saying, right. they have to be careful about that right. because, you know, there's teachers who are saying, listen, we still have major challenges in our classroom. You know, there's communities where their hospitals are closing. So you got to be careful. If you're going to say it's not a crisis anymore, you got to say, well, it's not a crisis anymore in the sense that we have more money coming our way. I think voters are going to want to know what's your plan to right. do with it. You know, uh, Right talked
1: about that some the other night, yeah.
0: and I think that's absolutely right. You know, you've got, you still have schools,
1: we had the story either, I think this morning or yesterday morning, basically holding bake sales, you know, to buy the basic supplies of schools. Yeah. You've got hospitals trying to stay alive on GoFundMe. So yeah, you're right. There's the crisis at
0: And there, and that's a sensitive community. And from you know, I was watching the the debate online from another state, but so I was, had a chance to kind of track social media and, and comments on on the YouTube page. And you know, there was a moment where you asked him about you know some rural schools, especially not having teachers to fill like AP courses right. and stuff like that. And he he made a remark that say, well, maybe we can use video technology. And I think to be fair to him, the context is. He was saying we could fill the gap until we have a better plan of getting more, you know, professionally trained teachers in that hole. But some took it as a, you just want our kids to learn from a video teacher. I mean, so and I'm not, and I think they've come to their frustration honestly. Uh-huh. I mean, my point being is that, you know, it's not just educators. There's, you know, there's a lot of buckets, but especially for educators and those connected to schools, there's still a lot of raw emotion, yeah, right. and they've come to that honestly. They're, they're justified in right. a lot of that emotion, and so Edmondson
1: talks about that a lot. I mean, that. Yeah. That's, That's a centerpiece of his. And
0: one of the biggest lines from the debate was, "If you think this is all about pay, then you're not paying attention." I want to ask you, Chris. You know, in in Sunday's issue of the Oklahoma, you've got a profile of Stit. You're going to have profile of the candidates, and so this first one is is on Stit. I had a chance to read that. I think one of the biggest takeaways I I found, and you've already said this a little bit about. Uh, Stit is that he doesn't necessarily have to have all the answers, mm-hmm. and you know what he was saying, and those around him were saying is he's a guy that just wants to learn and mm-hmm. what's going on, and even my interactions with him, he's always wanting to like, what do you think about something? You know, yeah. no. it's not our, not our job to give him advice, but um, <laughs> so, but that's, I think that's that's probably a good strategy to have. A, because if you're going to become governor, you've never done anything like this before. You're going to have to learn on the job. But B, that probably allows some voters to be a little bit more comfortable with you as an outsider if you're saying, hey, I'm willing to learn. Yeah. I want to surround myself with the smartest people. Now, he's,
1: he's as, as far away from me you can get as being closed-minded about stuff. I've been struck several times by, by him and his like, campaign manager, other people in his campaign, about how they're just kind of trying to gorge themselves, you know, just cram on all these programs and and, and government and how it all kind of works and they're continually surprised by so many things. I remember it was either Stitt or his campaign manager. Remember the other night he was talking about what what bail does to poor people—the death spiral of, okay, of, yeah. of of trying to yeah. you know pay your fines and fees, fines and fees, and trying to get out of county jail. You know, next thing you know, you, you know, you're destitute and you can't—you're you, in jail forever because you could not pay your. He was just stunned that that work. That he—you know—he's had no exposure yeah. to some of this stuff, and he's just kind of continually. Like, really, that, it, and, and I think that it. The more that he reads about, it, the more he this makes zero sense. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, well, I hope he subscribes to the paper. Um, <laughs> as a good way to catch up on some of these issues. But you're right. There has been moments where he said, like, I had no idea that this issue was so big. And uh-huh. for a lot of us that are, you know, if you're a, a policy wonk and in politics yeah. and you live here in the capital city, I mean, right. you're you're probably like, where have you been, man? But you yeah. know, I think. To be fair, there's a lot of Oklahomans that are just now paying attention to the uh, election, and and even just this year have really seen issues like education and healthcare really rise to the forefront. Right. I mean, teachers know it, but people who don't have a kid in school or, you know, are just your average Oklahomans, it may not have been until this year that yeah, they really started yeah. to see these issues. Yeah, I agree. I mean,
1: everybody that kind of lives in their own bubble or their own corridor, you know, and uh, if, if you don't have to learn what Medicaid expansion is, then you probably aren't going to, you know, yeah. or, criminal justice specific proposals about that. You know, we, we do kind of sometimes think,
2: how do you not know about that, you know, but it's quite easy to not know about some of these things. Yeah. Well, it's like when I first started writing about Medicare uh, or Medicaid reimbursement rates, uh, I had no idea how it worked, I had to learn about it. And then I realized, oh, this is this is how doctors get paid when they see patients who can't afford to go to the doctor. And, and that's sort of the relevance of when whenever the state decides to lower the Medicaid reimbursement rate. You know, a, people, a person reads that sentence, it really doesn't mean a lot to them. When you start talking about this is how doctors get paid to see poor people uh, and seniors and kids, um, uh, that's, it really becomes relevant.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, uh, obviously we're going to continue to talk about this governor's race in the weeks to come, and and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about Edmondson here uh, coming forward, especially, you know, you'll have some more coverage of him and a profile of him in the weeks to come. There's other elections, other races in the ballot, especially in the legislature. You know, you talked about Edmondson had kind of the more vocal crowd at the debate, and I think that's natural. The minority party, you know, it seems to be fired up this year. That includes the legislature. Last, I think it was last Saturday, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, she held a rally. It was a public education rally. It was also partly a Democratic rally. A lot of you know advocacy for Democratic candidates, of which there are you know some decent Democratic candidates in the ballot this year, maybe more than in years past. Um, uh, Dale, t- talk a little bit about just the legislative race and how it's shaping up. We're not predicting that the Democrats are going to take over, but there are some thoughts that yeah. this might be a, a good year for them, but maybe not in every mm-hmm. part of the state.
2: It, it, it could be a pretty good year for them. Uh, the, the important number uh, is, is going to be that sort of that supermajority line. How close uh, do they remain um, to that supermajority line uh, or the, the, the number of people that they have to have to prevent the Republicans from uh, doing anything that like raises taxes or anything that needs that supermajority vote. Um, and the more people that the Democrats have, the more that they can take advantage of a fractured Republican Party. Right now in the House, um, a lot of that fracture has uh, disappeared mm-hmm. with people leaving office and getting voted out of office. So we're gonna have a new crop of people, um, uh, freshman legislators who are gonna be um, yeah, a little bit more malleable than someone who's been there for a long time. Uh, and so uh, we'll have to keep an eye out on sort of what divisions remain in the Republican Party, especially in the House, yeah. and uh, how how many Democrats uh, will be there to take advantage of those opportunities.
0: Yeah, you've got a story in this Sunday's yeah. paper about an interesting race. It's already decided, but it's been an interesting race. That's right, right.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, in, in Ponca City, Ken Littrell was a state representative for four years uh, he lost his seat in 2010, the same year that uh, Governor Mary Fallon got elected, the same year that...
0: And he was a Democrat, uh, right? That's
2: right. He was a Democrat. Um, the, the same year that all statewide offices went to the Republican Party, and it was uh, President Obama's midterm election, which was uh, uh, really a contentious one, yeah. if you remember. And so um, he, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he lost that election, um, but he has come back. He changed in the interim. He changed parties. He's now a Republican. Instead of a Democrat, and he ended up beating the guy who beat him eight years ago. Uh, so the uh, I kind of profiled a little bit about him. I talked to the to the losing candidate, Steve Vaughn, state representative Steve Vaughn. Talked to him, and uh, that story's going to be in Sunday. I thought, I thought it was a pretty interesting deal where yeah. someone loses a race but comes back eight years later in the in the in the different party and manages to win back a seat.
0: Well, and still speaks to how important still tribalism is. I mean, we can talk about, you know, issues like healthcare and education can sway voters, you know, maybe independent voters. And and I don't wanna minimize those issues. I mean, for a lot of voters, you know, they're gonna put partisanship aside and they're, you know, they have issues in their life where I'm gonna vote on education, I'm gonna vote on healthcare, I'm gonna vote on business. But for a lot of people, you know, they're still, you know, they're Republicans and Democrats. And so at the end of the day, that's a big, challenge for Edmondson. I mean, yeah. even if the polls show that he's in a competitive race, which it seems like he is, um, you know, at the, end of the day, he's got to convince a lot of Republicans and to, independent to, you know, and independent, independent, yeah, right, too, yeah, are still right, important. Right, yeah. Right, right. Um,
2: and, and, and that district that I was talking about is majority Republican. It's, I think, pretty much always been a Republican seat. Um, I talked to Representative Vaughn. He, he kind of described it as a fluke when the Democrat um, won the seat and held it for four years, um, but is now in, back in Republican Republican hands. And uh, I remember, I think I got an email saying that there's a new uh, Republicans for Edmondson group formed, something like that, uh, which is not unexpected. Every gubernatorial campaign yeah. will have, hey, here's people of the other party supporting me. Uh, but- I think he, Hunter he, put he, out a Democrats yeah. for Hunter thing. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm sure you can exactly. go to Southeast <laughs> Oklahoma <laughs> and find,
0: start your own Democrats for Edmond, or for a state, it, uh, yeah. uh group.
2: It, it, exactly, and, but you have to, uh, y- Edmondson really is going to have to get Republican votes. Yeah. you know there are more Republicans in Oklahoma than Democrats now.
0: Yeah, and I and I'm interested. You know, there's a lot of areas. You know, as we wrap up here, that you can look at in the state. I'm really fascinated by the Oklahoma City suburbs, the Edmond area, yeah. because you have a lot of moderate Republicans. Right. And but a, but a lot of these voters were really frustrated. You know, this year, and they they let it be known this year by you know voting out some incumbents or at least when there was an open seat, going with a candidate. That, you know, not going with a candidate you would expect them to go in the past. But the question is. Were those Republicans willing to you know, make a different vote within the arena of a Republican primary? Either one they're voting for is a Republican. November will be, are yeah. they willing to cast that ballot for the Democrat? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure we all have relatives that are just not willing to ever cast that ballot you know, for, for the person of the other party. It is real for some people, but, but in an right. area like that where you've got a lot of moderate Republicans, you know, you're kind of Chamber of Commerce, pro-business, they under, you know, a lot of them moved where they're at for schools. I can see where Edmondson would appeal to them in a lot of ways. But would they be willing to pull the trigger on a Democrat? That'll be the big question. Yeah, that's a really good question. The suburban
1: Republicans, I mean, they could be the deciding. Just, they probably will decide whether Edmondson can get elected. Yeah. yeah. Suburb- suburban. Republicans here and in Tulsa.
0: Yeah, I mean, you expect Stitt to do well in the rural areas, you expect Edmondson to do well in the urban areas. You're right, the sub- suburbs are um, are probably gonna be where, where this race is decided. Well, we'll keep talking about that in the weeks to come. Lots more political coverage, not just the governor's race, but all other races you can find every day in the Oklahoma and online at newsok.com. With Chris and Dale, I'm Ben with the Oklahoman. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next Friday.